If we want to woohoo and clap clap after songs, we can do that any time. Like I felt like the third song, we should have maybe probably given a little woohoo, but it was a new song. We feel awkward about new songs until they're familiar songs. And then we're like, I don't know if I should feel good about this new song. So anyways, I have this friend. His name is Steve. Uh, I've talked about him before. His wife is Argentine, and they chastised me about talking about her immigration policy or her immigration to the U.S. But anyways, Steve is a guy. Um, Nikki actually called Steve and said, Steve, you have to stop posting the pictures that you're posting because I'm afraid Eric is going to leave me for you. <laughs> so Steve, when he was single, he, uh, he would spend his winters uh, ski patrolling in Vail, and then he would spend his summers fighting fires in the wilderness of Alaska via helicopter. And then, you know, he would be near a trout stream fishing or sending me pictures of grizzly bears. And on his way home, he would fly and he would stop and catch his load of salmon. Then he would fly to a glacier and he would load up with ice. Literally glacial ice to keep his fresh catch cold as he flew home. The funny thing about Steve is I was talking to him, uh, this was when we first moved up here, and I was like, man, your life is just like incredible. And he said, you know what, Eric, when I lay at night in my sleeping bag, I think about your life and how incredible that is. And how I wish I had a wife and kids and a house that I could live in. And I'm like, are you okay? <laughs> Isn't it funny how we look at other people's lives and we think only if we could trade places. Hollywood loves to give us this because the classic trading places of 1982, Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd. Or we even look at things like trading spaces. Remember that old show with all of, the, all of the colored walls with Ty Pennington and Genevieve. And if we could just trade spaces for a while, then, we could, then somehow our lives would be better. If we could trade places or trade spaces, things would be different. We're in the eighth chapter of this story about Esther. And last week, we, we get the death of Haman in verse 10. And then we roll into this next section on that day. So it's this idea that immediately after the death of Haman, King Ahasuerus gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman. The enemy of the Jews and Mordecai came before the king. For Esther had told what he was to her. And the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther said to Mordecai, and set Mordecai over the house of Haman. Then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet and wept and pleaded with him to avert the plan of Haman the Agagite and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. When the king held out the golden scepter to Esther, Esther rose and stood before the king and, and she said, If it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and if the, the thing seems right before the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let an order be written, to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in the provinces, all the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows, before, because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. 
But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and seal it with the king's ring for an edict written in the, in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. The king's scribes were summoned at that time in the third month, which is the month of Sivan on the 23rd day. And an edict was written according to all that Mordecai commanded concerning the Jews, to the satraps and to the governors, to the officials of the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces to each province in its own script and to each people in its own language and also to the Jews in their script and their language. And he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed it with the king's signet ring. Then he sent the letters by mounted couriers riding on swift horses that were used in the king's service, bred from the royal stud, saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in this every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods. On one day throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, the copy of what was written was to be issued as a decree in every province, being publicly displayed to all peoples, and the Jews were to be ready on that day to take vengeance on their enemies. So the couriers, mounted on their swift horses that were used in the king's service, rode out hurriedly, urged by the king's command, and the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple. And the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced, the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor, and in every province and in every city wherever the king's command, and as edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday, and many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews for fear of the Jews had fallen on them. Whew. So Nikki and I were on this little vacation, and so we like to listen to books. I like to listen to books. And you know, when you're listening and you're like, what's going to happen? And so you pull into the driveway. You're like, we can't get out of the vehicle until we get to the end of this chapter. Then you go inside and rather than turning on the TV, you're sitting there listening to a book. It's like old school, right? Sometimes I think we forget that about these texts and we just read them in small little chunks, not understanding the totality of what is going on. Because the story rolls right into, from the death of Haman, right into this next portion. Where the queen goes and she introduces Haman, or she introduces Mordecai, and she says, this is my relative. And what, is, what does the king do? He gives him the signet ring. And we have this fascinating trading places moment because remember Mordecai was in the dumps. He was at the gate. He couldn't even come before the king and, and Haman was with the, with the king and he had all this power and now we're seeing this complete reversal of roles, this flip-flop of who was in power and who was not in power, who was supposed to be killed and now who is actually been killed. And the interesting thing that we see within this narrative is that this is what we've been waiting for. As soon as the, the decree was 
was declared by Haman that the Jews should be killed, we've been waiting with bated breath, or the first century listener to this, or the person, the Jewish person that would have been listening to the story is like, what's going to happen? And now it's happening. It's like they have been saved because Haman is now dead and Esther is in her rightful place and Mordecai can come out of his hiding and he takes on this power. And we have this moment of like, this is what we've been waiting for. Don't you hate to wait for stuff? Whether it's something in the mail or a new album to come out or a new show to come out. You're like, ah, I'm just so tired. Like, I just want to know what's going to happen and how this is going to happen. And it's fascinating because so often when we think about what is taking place in this story, we see it in such present time reality. Salvation has been brought to the Jews because the Jews were on a pathway to death and destruction. And because of the work of God, through Esther, the Jews have experienced salvation. But for us, when we think about salvation, what do we think about? We think about then. Like, when I die, then I will experience salvation. Except the last song that we just sang we talk about the reality of the presence of salvation today. That you have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Salvation is not a biblical concept that exists after we die. Salvation is about the here and the now and the not yet. On Wednesday nights, we're walking through the Gospel of Matthew, and just this last week in chapter 3, uh, John is declaring the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Because when the Messiah comes and breaks into the world, salvation is at hand, and it is here and now. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven aren't something that are ex going to exist in some far-off celestial place. The kingdom of heaven exists now, here, and not yet. It's like, you know, sometimes you know, now people are, you know, these artists are, are releasing albums. And they'll like drop one song at a time. You're like, forget the one song business. Just give me the whole thing. But that anticipation of like foretaste of what it will be like. And you're like, oh, I can't wait for this to finally come out. And for the Jew and for the, the, the person that would have heard this, they would have understood that salvation is a reality that exists in the here and the now. But for some reason, we have placed salvation in, in the future, in this celestial non-reality that, that oftentimes we can't even think about. But that is not the case. Because the work of God through Scripture is to present salvation as a reality in the present and in the future. Because if salvation was about only the future, I mean, would we not wait? Would we not wait until the last second? 
I mean, you might have friends that would wait until the last second, right? (laughs) Certainly, I wouldn't wait. I wouldn't wait. Salvation is about the present. And and we've been sitting on seven chapters. How many weeks where we're like, what's going to happen to the Jews? And then salvation is brought into the present. By the work of God through Esther. When we look at the life of Christ, oftentimes we, we don't fully understand that when he brings about miracles and healing, when he says to the paralytic, your sins have been forgiven, he's bringing about salvation in the present. And then he doesn't just stop there because he knows that it's not, salvation is not just about the future. He says, arise, get up, and walk. Because when Jesus decides to come and to be incarnate, in the beginning or the middle of the end or the end of the end, depending on how you look at how all of that comes about, he is bringing about real salvation in the present. Because faith in Jesus Christ, faith in in the God of Esther, in Yahweh, doesn't just get us a pass after we die. It gets us a present that is far better than any present we could ever imagine. Because take a look at this. If salvation was about just making it to some place in the end, we wouldn't have what we have next. Because Esther, she goes before the king, and she falls at his feet, and she pleads, and she says, King, we have a problem. We have a problem. Because for the king to issue this edict, there, you can't revoke this edict. It's like, this, it's like an executive order. It's just like, yep, the king makes this declaration. There's no, you can't ratify this. So in order to, to make a new order, you got to write something that will undo the old order. It's like a special request. We were at this, uh, this pizza place, and you're reading through the menu, and the one, uh, one pizza has, uh, it's like a savory blueberry uh, with blue cheese. Some of you are like, no. Onions and all this stuff. And then at the end of it, it says, no exceptions granted, dot, dot, dot. Don't even ask. <laughs> the answer is No. <laughs> How was it? They didn't open until 3 and it was 2 o'clock. And Nikki said, I wouldn't order that anyways because I don't want the onions. And she said, don't even ask. But notice how Esther, she's going to ask because she knows that in order for her people to be saved, she has to ask. And the king says, well, yes, of course. Notice some of the, the interesting little nuances here where, where we talk about the fact that, that Mordecai is a Jew and Haman is this Agagite. And so we're continuing to look at this contrasting between the two peoples. So they have this request, and in verse 8, the king says, yeah, go ahead. 
Write as you please with regards to the Jews in the name of the king and seal it with the king's ring. For an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. Except that's exactly what they're doing. (laughs) Sometimes I think it's a little bit like the woo-hooing and the clapping. When we read the Bible, we're like, "This, this can't be funny. Like, I, I can't laugh at this because, well, I don't think it's that funny, which that's, I get that um, often. But notice that the king's like, the only way you have to issue it in my name, because if it's issued in my name, it can't be revoked. But that's exactly what they're doing. The king is changing what he has already allowed to be written. And what this change is going to bring about is going to bring about the salvation of the Jews throughout all of these provinces, 127 provinces. And notice it doesn't just come about in Hebrew. It goes out to all of these provinces from India to Ethiopia in verse 9, and it goes out in their own language. So that the people know that the declaration from God is not just about the Jewish people. It's going out into all of these areas because the the people that speak all of these different languages need to know how powerful Yahweh is. Because they would have known about the previous decree. And God is changing up the script through Esther and through Mordecai to bring about the salvation of the Jews. Notice how we, we have this, these people that are, that are being cast off and, and marginalized. Their, their time is so limited. Literally, they're going to be killed within months because of this decree. And yet God, through his mysterious work, brings about salvation and restoration through the work of Esther, through her faithfulness to God. And then Mordecai goes from this this place of, you know, almost dead, mostly dead, to this place of power where where he can bring about real change. Because we miss that within the story. Because Esther's afraid she's going to be killed because if she goes to the king at the wrong time, then he will kill her because he's already gotten rid of his previous wife, Vashti. And Mordecai is afraid he's going to be killed because Haman wants him killed and they build these gallows. And so now we know that both Esther and and Mordecai have been been saved. Their lives are saved. They're set. Mordecai isn't just set. He's gone from laying in the dirt to living in Haman's house. And so what do they do? We are good. Mordecai lives in Haman's house. Esther lives in the, in the castle or the, the king's palace. We're set. No. Mordecai decides to use the power that he has acquired through his position to bring about restoration to people he doesn't even know. To people that are stretching from India to Ethiopia and it, it doesn't take a, a grand Carmen Sandiego geographic mind 
Do you know that's a big area? <laughs> a lot of people. Because when God brings us into a place, he doesn't want us just to stay there. God brings Esther into this place and brings Mordecai into this place where they lay everything on the line, and then he allows them to rise into this place of power for what? For themselves? So they can just kick it with the king and drink all of his wine and eat all of his food? Like eternal joy and delight, basically retirement? No, he brings us to places and positions so that we can affect change in the lives of other people. So that we can affect change in the lives of those who don't have any power, prestige, or clout. Because it would have been very easy for them to just kick it in the palace and be like, yeah, good thing we didn't die. David Firth says this, he says, Mordecai's approach is an important one for reflection in the post-Christendom world of many Western Christians, where we work from a position of weakness relative to the state and yet must still operate within the constraints of the state to ensure that which provides benefit for all peoples within the state is achieved. Mordecai does not abandon the essence of his faith, but applies this to the good of the state as a whole. And then he goes on, he says, Mordecai's example provides an important model of how we can work with the state without abandoning the centrality of our faith. God has brought them to this place, and he doesn't just bring them to this place, he brings them to this place with, with these horses that run out this decree and notice the, the writer of, of this narrative tells us twice about how important these horses are. The challenging thing, though, is in verse 11, the decree says, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women indeed, and to plunder their goods. That creates some theological challenges for us. What do we do with texts like this? Well, part of it is we understand it within the context of the larger letter and the edict and the reversal of the edict. Many of you know I love books. Joshua Ryan Butler writes this book, The Skeleton in God's Closet, where he talks about these things. What do we do when we come across a text like this where it seems to be saying that that women and children should be murdered by those who are followers of Yahweh? That is a great question. That is a great, great question. That's something that we have to wrestle with. But notice this. Verse 15, then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple in the city of Susa, shouted and rejoiced. This 
extreme makeover. Mordecai goes from sackcloth and ashes. You know, he's, he goes and, and he gets like brand new fit for the day. It's like he walks into the foursome and Michael says, here's what you need to wear. See those clothes? They're no longer good. These clothes, this is what you should be wearing. But we look at that and we miss the reality that God is showing us that it's not that Mordecai has been saved. It is that Mordecai has been completely restored to this new place. That all of his effort and all of his work and all of his faith has come to this moment where he, his life has been restored. He's experiencing salvation in the present Because faith in God and faith in Jesus Christ is not just about where we go when we die. Salvation is about here and now in the present. When we say yes to a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, it's not just like, oh, now I can sleep good at night because I'm not going to go to that place I don't want to go. It's that everything about my life is changed today. I know for some of us, we still wrestle with that because we've said yes to faith in Christ. We've been obedient to Christ. And somehow our lives don't seem to change. I hear you. I see you. We are here together to continue to pursue that and to wrestle with that. And if that is the case, you don't have to do it alone. We do it together. Because Mordecai and Esther show us that even when all of the chips are down, that God is in the business of bringing about salvation and restoration in the present and in the future. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you today, coming from your word, coming from the story of Esther and her faithfulness to you and how you brought about restoration and salvation to your people through her and Mordecai's obedience. Their desire to not just save themselves, but to leverage the power that they had to bring about restoration to all of these people. Their salvation is experienced in the present, and the joy is experienced in real time. May we experience the joy that comes through a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ, not just for the future, but for today. In Jesus' name, amen.